Do you know who I am? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you know who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand. Sand. Sand. Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. Sand, yeah, like sands, like the ocean. <laughs> Sand. Forget it. Today we're talking about licorice pizza. <laughs> hey, everybody. My name is Trey. Hey, and I'm Kelsey. Thanks for listening. So this is the Extra Credits podcast hosted by two teachers. And that's our day job, (laughs) but we're just people. Um, And we're just having fun reviewing movies. Uh, We are also married. We are. Yes. Um, And we love movies. We average like a movie a day. And so we just decided that we'll start recording conversations that we would be having anyway. Uh, Trey teaches social studies, so history and government. And I teach English and woman studies. So we spend a lot of our day talking and thinking about a lot of themes that show up in movies. And we will be breaking down these movies that we review and talk about using some school themed awards. So like, for example, we'll uh, decide who the valedictorian is. Ooh, Yeah. Uh, Who deserves um, the top spot in this movie? And we'll see what what you came uh, prepared with, Trey. Um, We'll read our list to each other. I got some surprises. All right. And then also like what goes in the yearbook. So when we leave this movie, what are we going to be thinking about? Like what is a lasting impression of the movie? And at the end, we will tell you whether or not we think the movie deserves extra credit. Well said. Okay. So I think before we even get into this movie and into these awards, I think it's probably best Kelsey, if you give us the premise, maybe the cast and crew, Give us a little bit of a breakdown. What do you think? Sure. Okay. So this part is no spoilers. Um, I'm just reading like what the movie is about, what you could read online. So currently, first, let's do some ratings. It's 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. Which is really, really good. And that's the critic score. That is the critic score. I think the audience score is closer to a D plus range. So not as good. So we'll, we'll talk about that too. Like huge disparity there. Very interesting. Um, So I'll go ahead and read what you can already find online. All right. Here's what the movie is about. Um, Okay. Licorice Pizza is a comedy drama film written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. The film stars Alana Haim, Cooper Hoffman, who is Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, Sean Penn, Bradley Cooper. King. Love Bradley Cooper. King Cooper. Bradley Cooper household. Benny Safdie and many other actors who... You might know who might be a little bit more low key. Um, we'll get to that too. Yeah. So, for the film heads out there, there are some low key names yes, in here. We'll, ta- yes. we'll talk about them. So the log line of this movie is the story of Alana Kane and Gary Valentine growing up, running around and going through this treacherous navigation of first love in the San Fernando Valley, 1973. And that is just not what we think this movie is about. Um, Normally, I don't think we would disagree with the logline of the movie because that's just like the bare bones, like here is what the movie's about. But I think we should just go ahead and get into it. Trey, do you want to talk about the reviews? And um, we just don't think this is a a romantic movie, a romance movie. Right. I think that's the best place to start. I think we're going to talk about this a lot. Uh, Kelsey, I think, said this first. PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson, the director, is basically a magician in this movie as the director, screenwriter, and cinematographer. Um, 
And it's pretty clear through that log line that that was to get us through the doors, to get us excited for a coming of age romance story. But we do have some feelings on the accuracy of that premise. So the reception of Licorice Pizza's plot is a good place to start. The movie sort of defies traditional plots. There isn't always a clear interrelated theme or even like an order of events that feel natural. In fact, it actually feels like very unnaturally told and different tones and rhythms are constantly happening. And I think the reaction from both audience and critics, while there is that kind of disparity, people do seem to like what they're coming out of the theater and they're enjoying this movie. They do seem to like what the movie is saying, but they're a little bit confused on what they're saying. So first, let's say that Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman, the actors, the two stars of this film, are getting a lot of love. Uh, for this rightfully so they're amazing yeah they're they're so great they're gonna get nominated for oscars most likely at least alana haim definitely well cooper hoffman hopefully the response though again to this plot is sort of confusing i've gone over tons of critic reviews there is one that stood out to me to be actually very educational uh roger ebert.com's critic christy lemire gave licorice pizza a rare four to four stars that website roger ebert is a goat critic and that website tends to not and the critics on there tend to not give out four to fours like like candy they don't really hand those out a lot i think she best illustrates the division and the mass feedback by outlining two really different plots here so i'm gonna get your i want to get your thoughts on these kelsey and also for the listeners i'm I'm assuming you're gonna you know relate to this a lot so all right i'm ready yeah let's get it so lemire tries to explain the plot that is best understood by the audience and then her own interpretation of the film so stay with me here first quote we haven't even begun discussing the plot but then again the plot isn't really the point licorice pizza finds himes alana and hoffman's gary running around the valley starting various businesses, flirting, pretending they don't care about each other, and potentially falling for other people to avoid falling for each other. One thing, she's 25 and he's 15, and they meet at his high school where she's helping the photographers on his picture day. What makes this romance make sense is that she's sort of stunted at this film's start, And Anderson wisely establishes early on that Gary has a swagger and intelligence beyond his years, end quote. So that's her first quote to describe the plot, even if she says that the plot isn't really the point of licorice pizza. That seems to be the reaction of basically everybody we've seen, right, Kels? That seems to be. Yeah, I think they're interpreting it as like, this is Alana and Gary's movie. And I guess you can read the second quote that kind of talks about why it's not right. And I think they even go on. I've, I've even heard more people say that it's a Gary movie more than an Alana film, or at least they're talking about Gary a lot more. So Lemire expands on this original premise, this quote, uh, which I think we both agree in the second quote more accurately to illustrates the more interesting theme uh, at work than a coming of age romance. Lemire goes on to say, quote, while their ever evolving relationship provides the framework for the film, Licorice Pizza is really about this young woman's journey of self-discovery, trying out different jobs and clothes, different priorities and personalities, seeing what fits. The vast majority of characters Anderson has focused on throughout his career have been men, from Dirk Diggler to Reynolds Woodcock. So to see him turn his immense artistic instincts toward a woman is only part of what makes Licorice Pizza such a breath of fresh air. Hope springs eternal for Alana. But the reality of life as a young woman in Los Angeles, hell in the world, keeps rearing its head. 
Maybe it's an intrusive conversation with an agent when she's pondering becoming an actress. Or it's a midnight motorcycle ride with a much older screen star. Cooper, Bradley Cooper, serves as a much more obvious source of menace as an unhinged John Peters, the real-life hairdresser turned producer who dated Barbara Streisand. Sand. 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 He absolutely tears it up in just a couple of scenes in a way that's funny and ferocious at once, end quote. Okay, so that second quote, hopefully the listeners better understand why the reception in this movie is so complicated because that second quote is how me and Kelsey responded to this film after going to it a second time. Yes, definitely. So I definitely, the first time I saw it, I think I was a little bit confused. And second rewatch, I definitely saw this review as what the movie was about. So want to get into it? Yeah, I think it also is important before we even, we're about to jump in, but before we do, it's important to note that this movie is most likely going to be an Oscar nominated film. So if you haven't seen the movie, give us a review. Don't finish the podcast. Give us some five stars. Oh yeah, and we're then about get to get into here. spoilers. Yeah, get out of here. Go watch the movie in a safe environment if you can. If you can't wait for it to be on VOD, it'll be on streaming very soon. Uh, it's great. Okay, Kels, go ahead. All right, cool. So our first category is valedictorian. This is the person or part that does everything right, does nothing wrong. Um, so who is your valedictorian? Who has the inflated uh, 5.0, 5.3 GPA, Trey? The crazy man himself, Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay. The real crazy man, not the crazy man in this movie, Bradley Cooper. Paul Thomas Anderson, director, cinematographer, screenwriter, as I've already noted, is, has, just does such a great job in Licorice Pizza. This movie inspired me to finally want to do this podcast with you. Uh, I've listened to him speak on this movie for hours and how and why he made it and why he wrote it. And this really seems like his attempt to subvert a genre that we both love. I think most people love, which is coming of age stories. Our take coming out of the movie seems to be accurate of what he was trying to capture. Even if we've had to sit with the story for a month to best articulate our feelings, it has been a while. We've talked to a lot of friends. Uh, we've been house talking about it quite a lot. We've listened to a lot of critics online, on YouTube, some podcasts. So it's taken us a while to really kind of get a deeper nuanced uh reaction or feeling toward this movie and PTA is giving the audience a taste of a coming of age forbidden love that at face value is obviously inappropriate and irresponsible because of the age difference which is why we felt so complicated afterwards after seeing it the first time but then by the end of the movie especially the second time we saw it there is obviously a social commentary about women and others who are marginalized trying to find their path and opportunity in the world and specifically here in the San Fernando Valley so I think that's why it was such a complicated viewing the first time and why we walked away kind of being like, we need to see that a second time. So PTA is definitely my MVP. And I want to, you know, give a quick background of what his, what his mentality was like going into this. So I've listened to a few interviews. He's talked about how he really wanted to try to create a hazy dreamlike movie. He basically wrote the script from his memory, uh, which he, you know, says that uh, at the beginning of a lot of his interviews that his memory's a little bit flawed, which is normal for all of us. when we think about our 15 year old selves or 18 year old selves, 
Yeah. Or just like memories in general, right? Like, yeah, they always feel a little bit almost like deja vu. And he also wrote from his closest friends memories, who is like the main character in this movie. Gary Valentine is written off of one of his best friends as a kid and young adult Gary. And I forget his last name, but that's a real person. Uh, and he wanted to have a purpose of showing how so many people blur the truth of their memories. That is something that a lot of screenwriters do when they write a coming of age story. So that's not out of the norm for a coming of age story when writing one like this, which is to rewrite yourself or characters in your life as hyper real or even absurd. And something came to my mind when we were, when we were prepping and we saw this movie a second time and talking about for so long past few weeks, a movie like Ferris Bueller's day off comes to mind. Ferris Bueller is a student who's like more methodical apparently in his planning and his lesson planning than every teacher at his high school or even more calculating than his parents and strategic. So the characterization of Bueller is a great example, I think, of what PTA is trying to subvert or or at least he's trying to give us a, a more realistic depiction of what Ferris Bueller would be like in real life with Gary Valentine, the main character of this movie. PTA writes almost like Gary, almost exactly like how Ferris goes from programming computer to change his attendance to then leading a concert Chicago at a Chicago parade. He writes Gary to almost mimic those kind of crazy, absurd scenarios, but in more realistic situations where Gary is trying to get leverage and leverage on everybody and take advantage of every opportunity that he has around him, uh, almost to, uh, you know, a harmful effect of those around him. So I think PTA is toying with these kind of like archetypes we've grown accustomed to. He's writing to expand our idea of, I guess, a traditional hero in these coming of age stories by creating also, next to Gary, a sort of anti-hero in Alana, where I think audiences are mainly confused, or at least they have been openly confused about Alana. I was definitely confused the first time. Right. It was like, I guess audiences like just like us were sort of frustrated throughout the film because we don't quite know what story we're in. We keep seeing Gary as this coming of age, I guess, basic uh, character, like a Ferris archetype. But then Alana, we're kind of like, why isn't she like Ferris? She's the older version. Why or old? She's older. She's supposed to be more mature. Why is she not making the correct decisions? Like how the normal stories are telling us how what decisions are supposed to be made from these kind of characters. So then the decision of using the age of Alana and Gary, which is important, this this age disparity between both of them, this kind of decade between them, 15 and 25, is basically PTA trying to persuade us on how crazy unrealistic most of the coming of age stories that we're used to and how crazy unrealistic their plot lines are, right? How crazy unrealistic that just genre has and how it's been repeated over and over again. It's sort of genius. So PTA is telling us, uh, a coming of age story of a traditional uh, or a traditional young love story. If he was doing that and giving us a traditional young love story, this movie would be wildly inappropriate and irresponsible to say the least, which we could talk about for hours if that's what he was trying to do, which some people have said that what he was trying to do, I think we would both respectfully disagree. I think instead he's creating his own adjacent genre here. Coming of age stories often don't paint a realistic world for the viewers right? Like they like indulge and romanticize the past. Yeah. Right. So I think to respect that part of the story, but also like expanding on it by trying to write a more interesting yet absurd again, story about this 15 year old boy who tries to convince this 25 or even 28 year old woman to go out with him on his escapades is like a really great idea. It's again, subverting a genre. 
he's not advocating for this relationship between Alana and Gary. Like I think I've seen so many people say, which I think is fair to assume that after one viewing of this, but he's highlighting the absurdity of the genre whilst simultaneously giving us a modern look, a modern tale of this type of story telling us by using his past memories to tell a tale about his youth. And I think he's also gnawing at some social constructs and even economic ideas and concepts that we still see in our reality 50 years later, because this has taken place in the early seventies. So our brains have been wired with these kind of like, it's tough because our brains have truly been wired with these past coming of age stories. So we're supposed to see this movie, or at least our first viewing or when we're sitting in the theater halfway through, we're like, is this a love story? Yeah. Like, are we supposed to be rooting for them? Yeah. Like this is, this is really weird. Like what the hell are we watching? And then by the end of the movie, hopefully like most audiences are starting to pick this up and I'm starting to see more of a conversation about it. The movie is more of a hustle. We're being hustled. It's a magic trick. Like American Hustle, like one of our favorite movies. Love American Hustle. Yeah, great. Great Bradley Cooper performance. We'll talk about that later. So ultimately, my MVP is Paul Thomas Anderson. I could talk all day about his directing style in this movie. You know, that alone probably could have just gotten a... I'll I'll stop talking soon, but that alone could have got me talking for like 10 minutes. But his writing (laughs) here was amazing. So he's my MVP. Okay, great choice. I am kind of jealous that you picked Paul Thomas Anderson. Don't. We're going to be talking about him a lot. (laughs) Um, Also, because of what Trey said, like if you haven't had a chance to see this movie um, and I guess you're just going ahead listening to spoilers, but the way it's shot is so amazing. And I think this, uh, you know, subverting the genre is clear. It's kind of more like a text, uh, this movie, than it is, right, like our normal coming of age romance movie. So, um, and I love the comparison with Ferris Bueller, especially because as we see in this movie, um, it's not, you know, the Ferris Bueller story of him pulling everything off. Um, you know, he's like tricking all his teachers, uh, you know, and everyone loves him. (laughs) Right. Uh, and if you know anyone like Ferris or Gary Valentine in real life, like, you know, 15 year olds and they're putting on a front. It's very obvious. Like it's not impressive. So yeah, it's kind of crazy as a kid, you look at Ferris and you're kind of like, wow, that's maybe the coolest kid in school or ever. I thought Ferris was so cool when I was watching Ferris in high school. Right. Like, and now I watch it as a teacher and I'm like, maybe they should have expelled him. (laughs) (laughs) I'm starting to see Rooney's side. Um, (laughs) all right. So great choices. Um, I want, with Alana Kane played by Alana Heim. And she was just amazing in this movie. So, so good. I know that Alana Heim is already known by people. Um, I did not know Alana uh, and her sister's band. I just gave them a follow on Instagram and love them. Love the family. Um, what were they doing? Didn't they do something crazy on Insta that was funny? They to were, our generation? Uh, they were dancing to Hillary Duff's. This is what dreams are made of. And oh I was <laughs> immediately sold. So um, definitely going to, you know, follow up and, and figure out who this band is. Alana is um, outside of this movie, but this is her first role. Like this is her first time acting. Um, I know she's done acting in like music videos before, but this is her first time on screen and in a lead role. And it was just captivating. Like any person that you see in film or stories that you want to spend more time with. I think that's just amazing. Like 
we're just so as the audience wrapped up in her facial gestures the whole time, like if she's on the screen, I'm watching her, right? Like I'm thinking, what is this character thinking? If she's saying something, I'm asking what is the message behind what's going on in her mind, right? Behind what she's saying. And I I was just so impressed that she could pull that off. Yeah, she truly had so many layers. You were saying you're jealous of the PTA answer for MVP. I'm jealous of the Solana answer for MVP because I that's who I was kind of stuck between. Like my second place was Alana and then my third place was a soundtrack. So I was very close to putting Alana here. She truly is. Uh, she just has so many layers. She truly is great in this movie. Yes. So awesome. And I think sort of to what you were saying before about PTA's movie. So Alana's kind of this lost character. Um, she's, I don't know if lost is the word. Maybe I'll clear, like think about it as we go, but she's looking for a way out of her current life and she wants to be taken seriously. Right. Like, and there's no avenues for opportunity for her. Like her only avenues really are getting close to men and boys in her life to create opportunity. And we kind of go throughout the movie you know, like we've said, a lot of reviews are talking about that. This is Gary's movie. Like I first time, you know, watching had the expectation of this being Gary's movie and it's Alana's movie though. It's Alana's movie. And she keeps trying to get her foot in the door in all these different segments. Like Trey said that, you know, there are these different kind of memories, um, that Paul Thomas Anderson is telling And she keeps trying to get her foot in the door in all these kind of memory segments, short stories, whatever you want to call them. But every door is kind of filled with these either like not grown up versions of Gary, but sort of like versions of Gary's showmanship. Um, I think like at the very beginning, right, Alana says like, how did you get into acting or whatever she asks him? And he says, I'm a showman, you know, and I think that's a really interesting way to view the movie throughout it, like the showmanship that Paul Thomas Anderson is getting into. Um, so I think we'll, we'll get more into these segments, into these short stories and interactions, but we start with Gary, right? He's like this immature showman. He's 15. Right. Then we go to Sean Penn, right? Who's an immature also showman with this ego. The close to retired, lots of whiskey in them, cigarettes version of Gary. Yes, right. He he has an important reputation now that other people give him. Um, And also, it seems like PTA, which I think we'll get into it later, right, is like showing like sexual exploitation of the business, right? Like Alana is an object to Sean Penn in these scenes. And then we get to Bradley Cooper, right? Who's like this hyper-masculine showman trying to prove that he's important and actively objectifies her. And then we go to the next segment of uh, Benny Safdie, uh, who I think was running for mayor in the movie. Something like that. Some some political office, some political position. Yeah, I think... Well, so I think he ended up becoming an LA city councilman. Um, and for different reasons, like uh, he has higher stakes in, in this story of, of his identity. But I think in that segment, we see a lot of this like professional life, uh, not living up to expectations that Alana or perhaps a lot of us like romanticize. Um, and so I think we'll, we'll get into these different segments, but I kind of wanted to put them up front because if you walked out of this or you've listened to reviews and you didn't view this as Alana's movie, like we are following her throughout these segments, you know, and right. it's her stories, her experiences, her tensions that 
I think the movie is asking us to focus on. So anyway, she's my valedictorian. I think she's going to Harvard. A hundred percent Harvard. They need to take her immediately. <laughs> um, okay. That was great. I think MVP PTA and Alana sums up this movie. I think it's a good way to start these awards too. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So next category is teacher's pet or the try hard. Yeah. The teacher's pet award. So this person does more than what was asked of them for the film and ends up standing out for better or worse. Now this person in a classroom, you're, you've all been students. You've all, you've all been maybe the person who's seen the try hard or you have been the try hard. You know that this could be taken positively or negatively. This could be the person really overstaying their welcome in a class and, or the person who's really trying their best to do what the teacher's asking of them and what the lessons are asking of them. And this award is probably one of the more difficult ones to give out because it's definitely, it's basically the person who you believe isn't getting uh, enough credit, but is trying really, really hard to. My choice with this one is, is it okay if I go? Yeah, yeah, you go first. Let's do it. So my choice with this one, I think it's a good transition. It's perfect. Alana Heim as Alana Kane. Alana, like Kelsey was saying, is in a band. So she's no stranger to fame. Uh, a very popular band. I have no real taste in music that I will put out publicly. <laughs> Kelsey hears my music in the house and it is not consistent nor probably good. Uh, but I have heard through my sources that the Haim band are very good. All three sisters. Uh, so Alana, again, like no stranger to fame. She's amazing in this movie. Uh, even if it's her first movie, being famous isn't going to make you a great actor, actress or actor all of a sudden. Uh, and she might get nominated for a lot. Or she has been nominated for a lot of awards already and she might get the big one. So uh, quick, quick side story, actually. This is actually reminding me. I, was gonna, I forgot to even bring this up. Uh, to you talking about this by ourselves. I don't think you know this, Kels, but Alana Heim met PTA uh, a couple years ago. I think it was like, I think it might've been like four or five years ago. And the way they met is super weird uh, in a good way, in a cute way. So basically PTA as a, as a kid lived in the San Fernando Valley and he, he had a, he had a favorite teacher, a favorite art teacher. And I think I'm telling the story correctly. Hopefully. Shout out to the teachers. Shout out I'm to all in. the teachers. You might influence the next best director. So he had a teacher, an art teacher when he was a kid in elementary school, I believe. And she made him felt inspired. She, he was constantly inspired by her, by her, this, this teacher. And he hung up a lot of the artwork, the paintings that this teacher, uh, you know, had assigned for him. And, uh, and constantly just remember this teacher and somehow, uh, throughout his life getting older, like five something years ago, he met up with this teacher or got linked up with his teacher through sources and realized, I think from hearing about the Heim band, the Heim sisters, that this, that their mother was, uh, his teacher, his favorite teacher. And That's so, so nice. Yeah, it is really beautiful. And he ended up meeting them and immediately, I guess, saw Alana and was like, that person needs to be in my movie. In fact, all these sisters need to, need to be because they're all in this movie, which blew our minds, which we'll get right, to later. That's, yeah, they're all, they're the family. It's, it's truly so crazy. Yeah. So I thought that was a really, really cool story as an introduction to kind of like thinking about her as the teacher's pet. She really works hard for this role. Okay. So yeah, no, I will. I love that. Like, yeah. I also still have some of my uh, elementary school art. So, you know, I have a, I think one of those tree frogs. Do you I know do, what I'm talking about? You I, put it in the kennel. I definitely don't have any tree frogs, but I know what you're talking <laughs> about. Those are not, I remember I watercolors. So 
this makes sense. This that's great. <laughs> yeah, I was the kind of kid in art class who who didn't do the art. I wasn't I wasn't an artist. I I'm good at podcasts. I think though, so <laughs> it's fine. I'll just do these. All right, who do you have for teacher's pet? It's, oh, wait, a, you it's Alana. Alana. <laughs> I think I said in the I think I said in the car ride home that I, the feeling that I just watched. Uh, the, the feeling I got from watching Alana made me feel like Mona Lisa starred in this movie. And that might just seem super, I guess, off the cuff, but it really felt like I was watching a character on screen that I couldn't tell what she was feeling at any point. And I wanted to think she's happy or she's sad, and I just couldn't get that feeling from her, from her visual. And just her, her aesthetic was confusing to me. Like, is she smiling or not? And it was getting me frustrated. And I think it got a lot of people frustrated by that, the, their first viewing of this and why a lot of people walked out of this really enjoying Gary as a character rather than Lana. However, her performance is outstanding. The writing for her character arc is maybe the best depiction I've seen of what women are left with in our society, specifically like in our economic system. I think our listeners probably already understand this, but I'm going to say it because it's important not to miss it. And Kelsey has said it a few times already, but this is Alana's movie, period. It's Alana's movie. This is like her period. This is her odyssey. Alana is like sailing through the patriarchy, trying to get home, (laughs) okay? To keep going with the odyssey. I got you, Odysseus. So men basically are deciding her life choices and some even take advantage of her, like Kelsey noted. From the photographer at her first job to casting directors to well-intended politicians using her as an accessory, even if it's a complicated situation, and even 15-year-old boys who are getting more love, apparently, as the reaction uh, to this movie than Alana. She's constantly camouflaging her feelings to mirror what men want from her in order to move up like this ladder of opportunity that's invisible to us, but is becoming more visible to her as she gets older. So she basically has like armor on in every scene. So it's very hard to feel what she feels, but it is there on the screen. This is what makes movies movies. This is why people go to see film. This is why when the age old debate comes up between film and other different art forms, sometimes film does, well, it can, maybe I'm obviously biased, but it wins out because we get to see these kind of complex layers on screen. I think that's why she gets teacher's pet. She does such a good job here. The teacher's pet is sometimes the hardest working student and ultimately never gets the credit which hopefully is not Alana Haim, but it's definitely the character she's playing, Alana Kane. This is someone who is not getting the credit, not getting her due. I hope the Oscars, Oscars gives Haim her credit. And if they don't, I'm sure the audience and this podcast will, and other podcasts will continue promoting her in this positive and healthy way. And uh, I think, you know, hopefully the reaction, the positive reaction will, you know, progress and continue. Yes, I would love to see her in any movie. Yeah, she's great. What do you got? Great. Okay, so okay, so for my teacher's pet or tryhard, I almost picked Skylar Gisando. Love and him. I hope I'm saying his last name right because Skylar, we love you. Okay. Um. So this, if you don't know who this is, he plays the other child actor with Gary early on in the movie. Lance. Yes, and maybe you know him from Booksmart. Um, and his yacht, um, and or class rink, maybe a, a more underrated or maybe not a seen movie on Netflix. You can go check it out. But he is being noticed, like he was in a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode, um, and I think maybe some other movies I haven't seen, like Vacation or Night at the Museum. One of the the Night at the Museum eight 
or whatever it is. Um, but oh, also he is in the Amazing Spider Man. He is in the Amazing Spider Man. I like. I was like googling really quickly when you said he was in Booksmart. I was like, what was his name from Booksmart? Jared. Jared. He is hilarious in that. Honestly, he like when he came on the screen, we were both like, oh my god. Basically, that it's Jared on screen. It was crazy. He's like one of our favorite characters of the decade. We love him. Anyway, so and he was an amazing Spider-Man. He was Gwen Stacy's little brother sitting at the table. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, when he came on screen, Skylar came on screen in the plane. We just could not contain ourselves. Like I, I was so excited to see him. He is like a gel pen on screen. I love him. Amazing. Anyway, so quick shout out to him. Okay. Um, a quick honorary award. But I ended up picking... Bradley Cooper. Damn it. That's Bradley so good. Cooper for my tryhard. And the reason I think he fits in this tryhard category is because he almost feels out of place in this movie. Like similar to kind of American Hustle, he plays this kind of self-serious but like chilling character. Like Bradley really accomplishes here this trope of entitled like hyper sexual masculinity right performance and shout out to the first time actors for really like keeping their own with him it really is crazy they're able to do that because he is a monster in this movie (laughs) right like we get this this shot of him entering the you know the frame of in these like tight white pants walking towards the kids it's like angry walk Amazing. Um, and so he just stands out to me because he's like trying so hard in the best way. And I don't really know when his agent decided to kind of go with these either like angry or often like sometimes unhinged roles, but whatever his agent tapped into, like keep it coming, keep making it happen. Um, really does feel like Bradley was like, all right, so listen, this this hangover stuff is not working for me. I mean, it's funny, but like, can you give me a character that embodies the patriarchy, but like is externalizing it at all times and just being radically nuts. (laughs) Yeah. So he kind of plays a a similar character um, in not similar character, but kind of different shapes of this, this vibe in American hustle or silver linings playbook. If you haven't seen uh, those movies, definitely go check them out. We are a Bradley household here. Okay. Love Bradley Cooper. Unhinged Bradley Cooper household. Yes. So also, I mean, keep bringing the, you know, a star is born Bradley Cooper, but I think I'll talk more about his segment later too, uh, because I found it one of the most interesting segments of the movie, but he wins my try hard for the better. Okay. So we got second semester is the next category. The second semester. So this person constantly improves their performance throughout the film. Kels, how would you describe this in school? So this is the person, you know, or student. I've definitely been there where I was not trying that hard, you know, first semester and second semester. I'm really going for that. A I'm showing up. I'm ready. Um, or maybe I just like understand the assignment, you know, in that second semester, right. I understand the instructions and I'm going to do better. These are all always those classes. I can relate to this from, we were all in high school for the most part. 
So we can probably relate to this where we maybe didn't do it all in the first half. We were kind of like, you know what, this, uh, I don't want to name names, but these conceptual physics classes, I got it in the bag. So, <laughs> and then you find out really quickly, the conceptual physics teacher is the AP physics teacher. This sounds like a real scenario because it was one, uh, that, that is a real thing that happens. And that is kind of the same vibe, the same feeling I got from Cooper Hoffman, who is my winner of this award, the second semester, where to begin with this guy. So before Alana Heim was cast, she was in her own right. Like we have already established a star. Whereas like Hoffman, he's just like this 16 year old kid that got a star acting role. Like when I looked up how old he was and when we got home and he said he was 16 at the time of filming this, or I think he might even been 15 or 16, 15 maybe. I was like, that's nuts. Cause I teach 15 year olds and he is. Yeah. So I think a, they're like starring in a movie. Yeah. Like they're struggling doing so many normal things that 15 year olds struggle to having do. like a five word conversation. Yeah. We've top, all been there. Yeah. I mean, I was struggling. I was doing bunny loops at all time. I still do bunny loops on my shoes. Like that's our 15 year olds do. And he's like owning businesses and like getting loans. Like he's like, <laughs> he's doing a, He's doing a crazy, uh, he's playing a crazy character in this movie. Uh, and he's also working with one of the best directors out there, PTA. Now, I do want to say this really quickly because not many people are saying it because of the circumstances, but I think it would be, we, we wouldn't be honest if, if we weren't bringing this up, but Cooper Hoffman's father, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Kelsey already said that at the beginning of this pod, uh, passed away tragically years ago. So first off, it's important to note before I continue about his award with the second semester that this is nepotism. We don't have to be like, you know, we don't have to be politically correct about this it's okay to establish that this is a great example of Hollywood nepotism. There are actors starving to get a chance, quite literally for some people. And you have Alana Haim get a role in this movie, which is basically nepotism, but she already is kind of famous. So I kind of get that. It's like a Lady Gaga situation. It's a teacher story. We'll allow it. Yes. Teachers shout out. But when it comes to Cooper, you know, that is, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman was PTA's really close friend, apparently. So, you know, not that we necessarily are pro this happening in the future. I feel like I'm going to allow it here for our awards because Cooper is such a star, like a legitimate star in the making in this movie. And if not a star, a face in the movies that we'll see for like a long time, if he wants that life. So two minutes into the movie, I was like, okay, you can kind of see him reading the lines of the script in his head. Or is he like reading what he's going to say in his head? Because that's what 15 year olds do. And I was like, okay, this guy might be, he's going full method. And then like five more minutes in, I was like, do I love or hate this boy? He reminds me of so many boys. He reminds me of me. He reminds me of my best friends as a kid. He reminds me of all the boys I didn't like as a kid and all simultaneously. So he starts off the movie by basically telling the audience that he is an adult by continuing to tell Alana that he's an adult. And we end up realizing he's obviously not an adult, but probably more in a more problematic uh, sense, he's uh, a con artist. Right. He's like mimicking. Yeah. He's like mimicking what he thinks adults do, which is in this society that we live in in the 70s and this economic system of early uh, capitalism kind of going into the internet age soon, we are going to try to make uh, a BS career. Hoffman's performance makes you want to appreciate him, but it's important to recognize that his charm is poisonous in this movie as, as Gary Valentine. 
He uses people like commodities, like quite literally manifest our economic system. And this is like pre-internet, like I said, so you can make yourself an expert, sort of, if you say you're an expert and you can use people's faith in you as a tool to find opportunity. And that's something that we've all done, but they do a great job of showing that he's constantly doing that to succeed. And I've seen critics continuously call him mature in this movie, which is hilarious because I think that shows why the film is more complicated than a coming of age story. PTA is like writing a script that constantly juxtaposes the way Gary tries to succeed versus Alana and Gary constantly wins out. And people see that as him being mature or more of an adult than Alana. But why Gary wins out is kind of a through line of this film. Like Gary isn't the protagonist, but why he's succeeding is the main purpose, I think, of what he's trying to show in this movie, which is that Gary bullshits his way to success. And our first reaction, or at least it seems to be the first reaction, and I don't want to be too much on a high horse here, but it does seem like the first reaction is, wow, that person is successful. Gary is an adult. He runs businesses. He's making money. Alana is a loser. Critics are calling her lost. People who maybe don't like this movie that much. Like, why are we following this lost woman who is taking advantage of a 15-year-old? That's a completely uh, misreading the purpose of the story. So Alana's organically trying to like find her identity instead, in, uh, instead of creating a fake one. And Cooper Hoffman does such a good job of creating a fake identity in this movie, which I think exposes us, the audience, as that next layer of all those men that you were talking about, Kels. We are kind of the next layer for Alana of the people that are taking advantage of her in this situation. The fact that we want her to lie at one point in the movie to succeed like Gary is just great writing. It's shown, I think, when, when Gary, I think he's going to talk to his is a casting agent. The Oh, you mean the child like yeah, acting agent? Yeah, right. That, that's who he's going to see. That, that woman who was like, you're a dog. You're a fighter. I've seen you. Yeah. So when they go to see her, uh, Gary is trying to tell Alana to copy his methods of trying to acquire leverage by lying and creating a false persona. And this time in front of the, the agent. And it's where Gary tells Alana to like basically say yes to everything that is asked of you always if you're trying to succeed, which opens Alana up to the possibilities of this really like hollow world Gary is living in. And we've all done, again, we've all done it. So I'm not trying to be on a high horse here. And I'm not trying to just kind of state how I think the world should work. But this is something we've all done. Gary is mastering it at a young age, which is, you know, I think realizing this economic system, again, just to say it again, allowing for whoever bullshits the best can have a large platform and a lot of wealth. And instead of taking the time to master and craft and become an expert, why not lie? Because people who try hard and don't succeed, guess what? They're losers. They're losers. It's a very Scorsese kind of Wolf of Wall Street vibe for the Gary's arc from PTA. So the way he, I mean, it, it could have just been that arc of a character for PTA to write that arc. And I would have been like, this, this arc's amazing. But the fact that we get Cooper's performance and the way he ends it as you kind of sort of like him at the end, I think is just an amazing and it's just an amazing performance. And I'll, I'll always remember it because we, we don't often see first-time actors get this kind of budget, this kind of feature film, even if the nepotism stuff, that aside, he just destroys it. So he's my second semester. Wow. Okay, great answer. And I, I think that 
Okay, well, my answer is also Gary Valentine. Let's get it. (laughs) For uh, some of the same reasons. But I think what you said is really great because to take Gary, and again, we're not like exaggerating. I think almost every review I've seen has been like, Gary is, you know, mature. We see him maturing throughout the the film. And I think to see it, yeah, like to see it that way is to see only the story for like face value. Right. And so, yes. Okay. My answer for second semester, the person who improves their performance throughout the film is Gary Valentine, except I didn't write Cooper Hoffman. I wrote Gary Valentine. It's a, it's a great name. That's how good he was. (laughs) He's now Gary Valentine. Right. So, um, and also, uh, as you were talking about Philip Seymour Hoffman, and before I start talking about Gary, um, when he was standing in front of the mirror, right? Like he's putting on his pinball, his pinball outfit. Yes. Yeah. That was when I was, I mean, throughout the film, I also noticed Philip Seymour Hoffman mannerisms, but I was like, whoa, like he is his dad. Is it, it that white outfit? The white outfit yes, with the hot okay, pink. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to, to say that too. Um, so, okay. Gary Valentine, second semester. So similar to what Trey said, right? There are sometimes when I felt Gary or Cooper Hoffman kind of acting at the beginning of the movie. Um, and I felt like he was kind of doing like what you said, like that line reading. Um, but second rewatch, it really worked because he's playing this kid who's putting on a confident front, like you said, because he basically wants to be someone who's considered someone, right? Like that's his whole goal in, in this world. Right. And, so I'll go ahead and give him credit because his character really grew on me and I really understood the purpose of his character on my second watch. So I think at the beginning, like we, we get a, we also, as we see Alana go throughout the story, we, we see Cooper Hoffman or Gary go throughout the story, right? So at the beginning we have him talking to Alana as this high school cocky kid to his waterbed business, like soggy bottom. And then though, as we get, through the story, we realize that he, all of his kind of like behaviors and actions are actually like making it so that Alana is getting all the consequences. Like it's, it's really interesting to look at it as a really good point because we're seeing like all these things through Gary's lens. It's like an overwhelming kind of consuming feeling where it's almost like Gary's memory, right? Like I think you said that Paul Thomas Anderson was telling this story through memories or through, um, like I said, short stories. Right. But it almost feels like this is someone, this movie is someone like flipping through a photo album and pointing to a photo and saying like, let me tell you about this time and like jumping in that photo. Yeah. I don't and know if you G- And Gary Valentine is definitely like pointing in all these photos showing whoever he's showing. Yes, exactly. Right. And so like to give you an example, like, okay. So when we were in the Bradley Cooper back to Bradley Cooper, uh, and the John Peter sequence, right. Bradley Cooper is the third character or, you know, John Peters, but the third person that we come into contact with in this kind of short story memories collection, I think third person it's close. Um, but anyway, when we're watching it, it's hard to kind of know what we're supposed to be focusing on. And I think that's the reason I was confused the first time, right? Like the screen is filled with Bradley's like bubbling rage, like we talked about. And it's really like funny, like humorous. Mm -hmm. And 
we also um, get such a, a great sense of like danger that we feel the kids are in because Cooper's also like threatening people at the gas station with lighters, right? Um, and then also we're overwhelmed by the response that Gary's having to Peter's, right? Like it's showing Gary's reaction to being emasculated basically, right? Like a lot of this driving force, like what is the catalyst to these things happening is Gary being like, okay, you know what? He said, he's going to choke my brother. Like let's turn this hose loose in this man's house. Like let's cause some water damage. Right. And I think this is really where the secret sequence where I knew it was Alana's movie Because when I think back to that sequence of the film, my biggest emotional memory, even though I have all the plot points, right, of like Gary making these decisions, my biggest emotional memory uh, is when the screen goes out or we don't see, you know, the film anymore. um, And they're all in the truck. Like Bradley Cooper came back to the truck with Gary and Alana. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're supposed to understand is that Bradley Cooper, John Peters character, right? Like kisses Alana without her consent in the truck, but we're so focused on Gary and Peters, right? And like Gary then going to get revenge, um, by smashing the windshield and it's not on Alana's experience, right? Like these cues aren't focused on Alana's experience, even though she's the one who's in actual danger. We see like Gary, right? Reacting and he is going to get revenge on Cooper, Bradley Cooper's character, um, you know, feeling powerless and wanting revenge by smashing his prized possession, right? He doesn't like ask if Alana's okay. And we don't need like this moral, uh, you know, outline of what little boys should do or what people should do. But the, the actions are like so telling, right? Like even when Alana finally like saves them, right? Because they, we feel the sense of danger and she backs the truck down the hill and they finally stop and like make it and they're safe, right? They didn't hit anything. They're okay. Epic scene. Right. Gary, right. When they, the car stops goes, says something like we did it. I did it. You did it. Oh yeah. Yep. Right. And I noticed that on first watch and it, and it does make sense. Like, obviously, you know, he's so excited that they lived. <laughs> right. Um, but the writing's just so perfect there because it shows that he like still had this ownership over the moment. Like, can you believe what I did? Like pointing to this picture, like, can you believe this time? Can you believe what I did? Right. And it's not like, you know, PTA has to sit down and uh, be like, ah, yes. Like I will comment on the pattern of masculinity and hushing women's experiences. Sits sits in front of a chalkboard, (laughs) writes patriarchy. And he's like, let's talk. Right. Like if you think we're like going too far into this, but it's like right there, right. We're following the memory Um, and I just think it's like you said, he's like a magician in this. Um, it feels like Gary and Bradley Cooper, you know, John Peters experiences have their volume turned up right in these scenes. And I think it's purposeful. Uh, so anyway, I loved Gary, uh, in this movie because I, I just think it was really interesting to put these questions in front of us about what Gary kind of symbolizes, right? Um, and, and also really interesting to see then the review of, of what people are taking from, from Gary's character. Right. I kind of like the way that you are breaking down the second semester word. Maybe I'll copy that for next pod because I like the idea of the second semester also being kind of the, the second thought rather than the second half, right? Like you're, you're saying basically that Cooper Hoffman's performance is Gary Valentine 
in second thought, like second viewing, like on face value, when Gary is like freaking out as a 15 year old kid about how they just lived from going down a hill, he's super excited and doesn't really think about Alana's experience. And he even thinks of himself at one point, like maybe even before he thanks her, where he's like, you did it, we did it, I did it. You know, face value, if you take that just straight up, like it's just a kid, he's really excited. You dig a little bit deeper into it, not with too much nuance, we're not being crazy here. And you're like, wait a second, like, is this him kind of testing what he can take, you know, some, I guess, responsibility for and, and feel like what, how he succeeded in something that he really didn't really have a lot of consequences or he wasn't really the savior in this situation. He's kind of painting himself out to be one because this is basically a good stepping stone for how a lot of boys become young men who gaslight a lot of women and manipulate them. And it is really, really, really interesting to see Bradley Cooper's character and Gary's character juxtaposed from one another in that scene. And that was, so that was really well said, especially about the dial. I like that. The, the dial. The volume. Yeah. I like that. That was good. And I think before we move into the next category, I, I do also think it's interesting because this is where we see Alana sitting on the sidewalk after this, right where, where they made it and they finally are getting gas for the car. And she sees, you know, in the distance, like these children being children and She, it feels like a chapter ending, you know, like she's moving, she's going to move on from trying to find opportunity and basically getting in danger from hanging out with these children and go on to the experiences where she feels like are going to be more professional, right? Like we're going to see her go to the politician's office, but she's going to find, I think like different or similar social dynamics, um, throughout the film interacting with those, like not, you know, potential Gary's, but potential showmanship, you know, kind of things with Gary, um, happening under thicker layers. Like, I think that's a, something that we should pay attention to throughout the movie, right? Like, uh, Bradley Cooper is a sort of potential Gary. Like, I don't know if we already said that, but he, he, right. He's a version, right? Um, so anyway, how do you like your peanut butter sandwiches? Uh, crunchy. (laughs) <laughs> you got me on the crunchy train. That was so funny. Just in the background, they, I PTA said in an interview that, uh, so he, he asked the real life producer that, uh, that Bradley Cooper is playing if he could use him like a kind of this caricature of him and right, John Peters, John Peters. Thank you. And John Peters was like, sure. And didn't really care to add any notes about whether or not to be nicer to his character, which obviously he wasn't in this movie. He was very realistic, I guess. But all he said was, whatever you do to my character, just make sure that you add my famous line to pick up woman, which is ask, you know, woman, what kind of peanut butter sandwiches they like. That's real. I did not know that. That is real. That was on the Bill Simmons podcast. Shout out Bill. So that's, (laughs) that's a real thing. And it's actually really, really uh, interesting that PTA decided to do that because Obviously, he like is no. He knows a lot of these people. These are a lot of real people in his life that he's making in this movie, and they're not like romantic versions of these people. So PTA's got a lot of, I guess he's just got a lot of range, and he's allowed to do a lot of things. It's really cool. Okay, wh- one last thing before we get to the next award, I'm not going to spoil it, but, but, but one last thing I want to add about about Gary Cooper's character because I just want to make sure if anybody's watching this and maybe you are listening to this rather, and maybe you thought more positively of Cooper Hoffman, uh, his performance as Gary Valentine. I'll say the reason why I think if, if, especially if I sound like I'm being too hard on him, the reason why I think 
my, I feel like the way I do also is because my journey with his character is kind of how I reflected after the movie on the possibilities of what it's like as a young teenager or young adult to think about the American dream or like the idea of the American dream. And you feel regret for succeeding when you know you don't deserve it. Like that's what privilege is too. And you can kind of see that in Cooper Hoffman's performance. You can see how he's succeeding, but he wants to keep going because he's fighting at something. He's itching at something. And what he's fighting for is to be, is to feel like he deserves his success. And he keeps going to cut corners to be successful. And he's going to keep doing that until he hits a wall. And like how Kelsey's saying, maybe become Bradley Cooper's character, maybe become Sean Penn's character, which is this kind of pseudo idea of success, not really deserving it. And that's real. You can lie to yourself and become the older men in this movie, or you can be honest and struggle with your identity, much like Alana in your 20s. And like, that's a, that's a real thing a lot of people go through. And so I just wanted to say that because I don't want us to be too hard on this, this character because a lot, a lot of people are going to love Gary Valentine and for understandable reasons. But I think there's something deeper there. Right. Yeah. So, okay, let's move on to the transfer. Let's do it. Okay. okay. The transfer. So the transfer is the person or part you feel like should have been transferred out of the film. So um, you could either replace it with something else or just transfer it out altogether. Okay, so let me see. Originally, I went with the family of Alana. I wasn't sold on the dad. I think it was the dad. Uh, The sisters were really funny, but it wasn't. That was the dad. I was like, that would have been cool if we could have got like a I don't want to say Robert De Niro because every like Robert De Niro has been dad in so many movies now, but somebody like that. You wanted a star. Yeah. I wanted somebody who was more star level who I'm like, Oh, it's that person. But then I found out that was actually her family and the father did a great job in the movie. And that's her real dad. I have no problem with his performance. It was really just kind of a star thing. And now I think that's perfect casting. So I'm going to go a little bit seeing the family. Oh my God. They were so great. Especially the sisters. Like I think Danielle and Esteheim, I think those are their names, but they, they are amazing. So hilarious, especially Danielle. I think you're always thinking things you think (laughs) are, you think are so funny. Uh, okay. So my transfer is, I would say the comment on a, a lot of people have been transferring, not using our award name, but they have been transferring this scene out of the film in the kind of more critical reviews of this movie, which is the comment on Asian discrimination uh, in this movie uh, about racist white men in the 70s and their discrimination, their active racism and bigotry against Japanese women or Japanese culture at large and how it was a distasteful joke of John Michael Higgins' restaurant owner character uh, uh, about mimicking these women. And... um, continuing stereotypes and stigma stigmas about uh, Japanese woman, but also just Asian culture at large, because the United States is kind of is very much known for generalizing many different people from Asia and in different countries across the Asian continent. And I do think that the joke is obviously distasteful and the movie doesn't need to, to even speak to us with nuance about Japanese United States relations in like the 20th century. They don't need to do that. But if you're trying to show satire, it has to have meaning. Otherwise, it's just, like I said, distasteful. And it's easy to make jokes that are distasteful and are about, and are about satire, but don't have a purpose, some kind of educational or informative purpose. 
And that's usually a privileged person's decision. Usually, usually privileged people feel indifferent about making jokes that only affect other people if there's kind of no educational part of the end. The gas shortage had more of a purpose than, than this, these few scenes with the different wives of this restaurant owner, which is really unfortunate. Like the gas shortage literally had like a, a soundtrack dedicated to it and a running scene dedicated to it. And it was really dope. And it was, it was way more interesting. I wanted, I had to go, I already knew, I mean, I teach history. I know about the gas shortage in the seventies, but I went back home and I've been reading about the gas shortage for like weeks now. Cause I just think it's really interesting to go through that decade and, and look about, uh, maybe the post effects of what happened there with the gas shortage in the United States and middle Eastern relations. Like that's a really interesting idea to throw into a movie like this. That's kind of low key, but that had more of a purpose. They even had multiple conversations about it where Alana kind of wakes up and says, Gary, like, what are you doing? You don't even realize what's going on around you. And Gary's like staring at porn advertisements in a newspaper. So it just would have been more interesting if PTA replaced these scenes with this restaurant owner and his wives, uh, maybe with something else. And I'm not going to step on PTA's writing ability because he's like literally one of the best writers of the 20th and 21st century for scripts. But he could have maybe done something that allowed us to get more of a conversation between Alana and one of the Japanese wives or a character like Alana or the mother of, uh, of Gary Valentine. And it would have been really cool to see one of these wives, one of these women maybe explain how watch out for men like Gary or men like my husband, this restaurant owner, because they just want to use you. I think he really could have stuck with like the theme of being a woman in our society and it would have done the arc a little bit more justice. And I don't think it's like a social justice warrior kind of move. I just think it's educational. It would have been equally interesting if Alana had like a line about Higgins character being a bigot or a racist. Like it wouldn't have justified anything again. But if she just said something to the effect of like walking out of a restaurant and being like, that guy was kind of a bigot and it would have been interesting to see how Gary Valentine would have been like, ah, I didn't really notice. Like that would have made sense. That would have been in line with the movie because I still think people would have criticized Alana like she's taking it too far. But like it would have been interesting, but we just didn't get that. Now, I will say this. In fairness to PTA, the lack of quote unquote telling the audience something is kind of the whole movie's vibe. It's like he's not directly telling us that Alana is aware of like the construct she's participating in or that she's victim to and and how she has to succeed against all these obstacles that are that are very complex. And it's not like he needs to directly tell us that she's aware of how she has to use other men in the story as stepping stones for opportunity, even though she's the victim of their power she wants to be appreciated for her work and she's like determined to have purpose while simultaneously succeeding. And if PTA started being on the nose with that idea and that those themes to the point of having like literal conversations about these issues, then I think the movie would lose a lot of its flavor. But again, that does not justify the jokes about these Japanese women and continuing stigmas and getting people to laugh at something can't just be the purpose of a joke. It can't be. We're too big for that now. Uh, this, this is kind of just like old screenwriting. So it would have been my transfer. My second scene, just really quickly would have been the waterbed scene where Gary almost gropes and violates Alana. I think that was supposed to tell us again, that Gary is using people around him or he's close to like, he's on the cusp of becoming that problematic and toxic young man that we are accustomed to talking about in a, in a more educated society about the patriarchy. But like, it was pretty poorly done. 
even if the musical number when they touch hands is nice, which keeps being shown a lot because it is kind of a, a good clip of directing style and a great song and a great song. It's basically kind of ruined by that scene. So I think it's also inappropriate. I keep seeing critics talk about that scene and that music and then not bring up that problematic scene. And if anything, if they're bringing it up, it's either in a two different spectrums. One, they're, they're really making it something like you can't like this movie because this happened. And the other side of the spectrum is, uh, it's not a big deal. 15 year olds do that all the time. And it's like, wait, what? Like, so yeah, well, obviously one of those is more extreme, which is the 15 year olds do this all the time. But, and I don't think I'm being harsh. It was just inappropriate. It was just not, or maybe not inappropriate, irresponsible. It was just an irresponsible scene. I think it was more irresponsible. Both of those scenes were arguably more irresponsible than the age difference. Because again, I think that was a misdirect, which we already talked about. Right. The age is like a misdirect. Right. Yeah. No. Uh, so um, I actually have the same thing for the transfer, but you said it way better than I was going to. Which, so both scenes I will go. Uh, well, just the scene um, talking about John Michael Higgins, the oh, restaurant I owner. And I, I mean, I did uh, understand those scenes as him, right? Like being racist, right? Like I understood that. I think though, what you said about it doesn't need to be spelled out, but it isn't really fully addressed. Right. And I understand PTA is kind of like, I don't want to show you or spell things out for you. And that's fine, but also not giving it maybe the attention that it would, it deserves, right. If you're going to go for it, if you're going to try to make that comment. So, and also I love your kind of change. If you were to add something about Alana and one of the wives talking to each other, like give me any scene where women are talking to each other about their experiences. I think you have gold. And, uh, so love, love that take and that change, but I, I had the same thing. And I think similar, uh, to what you said, I didn't have the the waterbed scene, but had similar thoughts. Like, I think one one review said, you know, are we supposed to be congratulating Gary? Like, I think people were, you know, for not doing this, for not violating Alana, um, and I think people didn't really understand the message of that either, right? Like, we are following Gary and his decisions, and then Alana and her decisions. Like, this is not a love story, obviously from that, right. We're like viewing basically what Gary feels like he's entitled to do, right? Like that's another comment. That was a great way to put it. Entitled is a really good way to put it. All right. So I think, I think we're good with the transfer. Okay. So you got this one. two more categories on the list. Okay. So we have last block, the last block. What This is the part of the film you wish you could forget. Right, Kels? Like, yes. in, in terms of teaching, this is basically like, you know, I don't want it. I, I know everybody thinks, you know, teachers, they have summers off, they get winter. Why don't you, okay, <laughs> why don't you try to spend a day talking to 100 plus Gary Valentines who think that they are uh, successful? Yeah. And impressive. Yeah, impressive. <laughs> Even if you love those kids, okay, which we do for yeah, most of them. Yeah, we love our kids, but at the same time. That last okay. block can get rough. Yeah, like it's, you know, we are talking to people every minute, every second of the day, okay? <laughs> and at that last block, not only are the kids tired, right? Like the students are tired. 
Um, or like, especially if you have like younger classes, like really rowdy, depending. Um, luckily we teach older students. So we have more chill last blocks. Like people are just tired, ready to go home. But last block kind of, even, even if you really enjoy your class that you have, you're still like, okay, I just want to get, get done with this, go home. So let's talk about what that is in the movie for us. What our last block is. You got it. Okay. So I have the ending. Um, and I normally don't do this. Like normally I just accept endings as they are, accept pieces of the film as they are. Um, but I think for my first time watching it, I was not clear about the message. My second time I understood, um, and still though wanted a different ending. So that's I, normally I don't want a different ending, but I'm going to change the ending like Uh-oh. as well as forget it. Okay. So I think the ending really plays on these expectations of a romantic comedy, like running towards each other, right? Like the music. Um, and I, so I can understand why people would walk away being like, this is a romance or, you know, this is what we're supposed to be focusing on. But again, I think to look at it that way is only looking at the movie face value. So I want to sort of forget that part. Okay. I don't want them running towards each other in the end. Um, I still want them to be like friends or just realize who they are in each other's lives, but not romantically because it's too confusing for the audience. Um, and it's not clear, right? So, okay, here is the ending that I want. All right. You got it. Are you ready for Full it? Full freedom. I mean, who's going to judge you, <laughs> okay. right? You got this. Okay, here's my suggestion, PGA. Okay. <laughs> so, um, at the end of the One movie, star. I'm unsubscri- unsubscribing. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. PGA is listening to our podcast right now. <laughs> okay, so... Um, So at the end of the movie, right, uh, we get Alana walking Matthew home, who is the partner of who the I think he's running for mayor or he was a former L.A. city councilman. So that's like the true story that Paul Thomas Anderson is telling. Anyway, Alana is walking his partner home, Matthew, and they're at the bottom of the stairs of his apartment. Right. And there's like that light that comes through. It's nighttime. And Matthew says something like, you know, they're all shits, right? Like they're all shits. And I thought that this was Paul Thomas Anderson telling Alana and telling the audience that all of Alana's options in men are shit, right? Like these, like what we've been watching are all these men that Gary could grow into. Um, like all these men who have taken advantage of her. Um, and I thought at that moment, like this is actually what I thought was going to happen in the movie was she was just going to run. Like she was going to run and they would end it. Um, Oh, that would have been so cool. Yeah. I thought it would be great because the, I don't think right. The driving force is not Gary and Alana's love story, right? It's really Alana's story and kind of their simultaneous experiences running along each other. Like there's so much running in this movie, right? Like what are they running towards? Like that's the question. And they can, again, like I said, they can still understand each other's place in, in their lives, but I wanted a bigger punch, right? For Alana's story, something that made it more clear to the audience that I'm making a comment, right? As a writer and just allow them to see like, this is what you should be paying attention to. Like, these are the questions you should be asking. And I think that's like obviously confusing for the audience, uh, especially on first watch. Yeah. And I think that is, uh, 
the best way I can answer, the best way I can respond to that, because that's a great, that's a great replacement. I like that scene a lot. I like how we're both trying to rewrite PTA script multiple times <laughs> now. Uh, the best way I can respond to that is reading my answer here because it is very similar. So I think Alana saying my last block, and by the way, not all my students are Gary Valentine. I have like three of those kids. Right. Yeah. And I think it's important. We had that, like three Ferris Bueller's. But there is a time in which you can have three Ferris's or Gary's in one class. And that if that's the last block, which has happened to be once one year and, you know, shout out to that class, you know who you are. That's rough. So my last block here, the class I love to hate, but also very much love. I think Alana saying, I love you, Gary, was a bold choice. Let's say that it was very Martin Scorsese. And I think I actually felt sticking with the Martin point here, Scorsese point here. I think I felt the same feelings I did after I heard Alana say that and the title card comes down licorice pizza. And she says, I love you, Gary. I felt like how I did after I watched Wolf of Wall Street. After Wolf of Wall Street, there was a public response that was very confusing to me at like, as like a senior in high school. I remember, wa- I remember working at Applebee's. I was going to shout out Applebee's for a second there, but <laughs> one, they're never going to be our sponsor because we don't want you. Uh, two, don't go to Applebee's. Three, they, they definitely owe me money somewhere. Okay. So I remember serving this, this uh, father and a son. This kid was like 12. And they said that they were coming back from Wolf of Wall Street. And that they loved the movie, that it was hilarious and that it was inappropriate. He didn't know how inappropriate his son, like obviously his dad wasn't a terrible human being. He felt bad about going to see this movie, but the kid was laughing and he was laughing about how hilarious it was and how cool and awesome some of the things that were happening were. Yikes. And I think there is some kind of like meta part of everybody in their response when they're saying that it's cool. I think they're saying it's cool that it's being shown. But I think that first reaction for a lot of men watching that movie and not wasn't necessarily mine because well we're the wall street generation we're the 2008 financial recession like we were in high school when that happened so like we were very aware of big banking taking advantage of our economic system allowing for people to be gary valentines at the bottom to try to work their way up and beat the system they're a product of a failing economic system and i don't think that was completely clear for, the, for public audiences after seeing Wolf of Wall Street. And I think that is sort of similar to Alana saying, I love you, Gary. Because any kind of thought that audience members could have about being maybe like, is this an Alana story? With it ending with that, I love you, Gary, and not ending with the title card coming down with Alana running and making very ambiguous ending. Rather. So you're taking my ending. Good. I'm kind of stealing I'm glad. it. Yeah. I'm glad. So I think I'm still conflicted about ultimately this art that is kind of like this blend of hyper-realism meshed with satire, which is what moments in licorice pizza make me feel like, especially with that last line. And ultimately, maybe it's because I just watched Spider-Man. Uh, is it No Way Home? Mm, that makes far sense. Far from home? Yeah, no what, Way Home? All, yes. the, all the homes. The most recent Spider-Man movie. We watched it like three times. And maybe it's because we just saw that recently. But with great power comes great responsibility. And I don't want to make this a, a Trey art podcast and how I have complicated <laughs> feelings about this hyper-realism, mesh with satire art. But with great, great power comes great responsibility. And I think it is kind of uh, a messy way to end the movie. It's kind of my last block. I love that I Love You, Gary is kind of meta because she obviously is struggling in her face. And I don't think it's clear that that's a love story or a happy ending. But I would have liked it a lot more if it was had more clarity to it. 
uh, and the audience's reaction wasn't, oh, well, that was interesting. It was pretty good. It's a love story. And I think the unintended consequence of PTA's decision to have like this unguided tone as a director might lead to this like generation of Reddit day traders like we got post Wolf of Wall Street. Like I'm not blaming them, but you can't tell me that GameStop and what happened to our stock market over the past year and SPACs from whatever are gonna, they, they can't be a coincidence of like that post of that movie affecting our culture in some way. All these Reddit Garys. All these Reddit Garys becoming millionaires while I teach. Good for them, honestly. So if people remember Licorice Pizza as a romantic comedy, this ending and that quote of I love you, Gary, makes this the block that I love to hate, like I said. It feels like the end of Licorice Pizza should have been more closely to maybe like when Harry met Sally, felt like. I th- Yeah, that's right. So like when Harry met Sally at the end, Sally's like, I, I hate you, Harry. I love you. I hate to love you, Harry. She says something to that effect. And it was very clear that she felt complicated about her love for Harry. And you know, from watching that movie, like how we have 30 times that Harry basically gaslights Sally from the time he drives her from her college to home. Like he's like trying to basically make her feel lesser than to, because he feels lesser than and he feels constantly emasculated and he wants her to basically go out with him. And when Harry met Sally, it's a very complicated movie, but the ending does a pretty good job. And this movie is sort of a 21st century tale on that of that romantic love story, that kind of coming of age romantic comedy story. But they, uh, he decides not to go that route and just says, and has Alana say, I love you, Gary. So I would have liked just some type of clarity on how I was supposed to feel, even though that's not again, this movie or director, that's not his, his vibe. And maybe I'll feel different tomorrow and think it's brilliant. And I'm back and forth on it. But ultimately, it's just the last block. It's I have. It's my favorite class. How about this? It's my favorite class, but it's my last block. Right, favorite class because it's shot like the whole movie shot so beautifully, and it's like a text that we're analyzing. But I I get why it's the last block, and I think Wolf of Wall Street is a great comparison, and I think it is the closest comparison to how I I see people basically having all these different reviews, right? Like we looked through so many different reviews of licorice pizza. And I think that review that you read at the top of this podcast was the first kind of idea that we came into contact with that. We were like, Oh yeah, that's what we saw too. Right. Right. Christy Lemire from RogerEber.com is I think the only person that I've seen being able to clearly I think just kind of explain the true meaning of the story, which is pretty nuts in a paragraph. Right. And like kind of what you were saying, how it wasn't clear in Wolf of Wall Street that this was like a comment, right? We weren't supposed to be uh, glorifying Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, character and aspiring to Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, character and experience in that movie. Um, I, I also think, the Harry met Sally Ray is a good example because we understand at least in the end of Harry met Sally, we understand that Harry and Sally probably shouldn't have like ended up together. And and I like that you said like Sally says, I hate you. Right. But based off my circumstances, like I have to be with you. And that's basically, I think yeah, the I comment, basically thought I'm not good enough my whole life. And now I'm stuck alone and you're alone. That's so weird how that happened, Harry. Now we love each other. Right. <laughs> yeah. And like, I think that's like the comment sort of that Paul Thomas Anderson is making, like 
what are Alana's options and the options that she finds herself in that are honestly like tragic, right? Like the, I love you is tragic. Yeah. And honestly, it's like a really, that's why I feel complicated. Now I think it's genius again. See, I'm back and forth, but it's not genius because it's not people obviously don't think it's clear. Yeah. But I do think this movie is going to, I hope, I hope, and this is why it's our first podcast. This is why it's the extra credits podcast first movie that we're doing, because I think it, I think this movie is going to be in classes in the future. They're going to talk about the messages and themes. And I think the ending is going to be something that hopefully people understand. I think people understand Wolf of Wall Street a lot more now. Let's just say that. And okay. It's that only makes like, sense. Not yeah. even a de- We're almost to a decade now. So I think this will be kind of similar. Sure. Okay. All right. So, um, I think we both last block would have had a different ending, right? Something that wasn't, couldn't be taken from the audience as a romantic ending that would give a little bit more clarity. Um, but let's go ahead and get to our best scene. Okay. What we, what we feel like was the best. Ooh, is this the best class? Best class class award, best scene standouts. Love it. So this is the part of the film that you can't stop, uh, thinking about because it was just your best uh, experience in the film. All right, I'll go ahead just because I'm so passionate you got about this. this. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I originally was when I was thinking of this category and preparing for the pod, I had the, you know, they're all shits from Matthew. Um, great scene, right? Because we're like trusting, uh, a man's experience over a Lana there. Like, right. We're like, Oh yeah, they are all shits there. Anyway. So great scene there. Shout out. I also thought that actor was Bobby from X-Men. He is not. Um, looks so just like Bobby whoever you are, I will look up your actor name, but did a great job. I was ready You're for amazing. him to like start freezing people. <laughs> um, but my, my best class or my, my best scene in this movie is the child acting agent. Loved it. Oh my gosh. She was amazing. Oh, it was so good. This is the scene where Gary, uh, like I think you talked about earlier in the pod, right? He's like, say yes, Alana, say yes to everything like that. You can do everything. You can speak all these languages. Right. And then it has that close up of her and her face shaking. And she's like, ah, I see it now. You're a fighter. You remind me of a dog. (laughs) And it was just so good. Uh, uh, the actor, her performance was amazing. And she gets my, my spot for best class in this movie. That's amazing. Yeah. She was truly captivating. Like, I think the whole, it was weird. Like I felt like, uh, I felt like everybody stopped breathing when they closed up on her face and PTA just let her flex and cook. And everyone was simultaneously not breathing and laughing in our theater both times. It was so funny. Um, okay. Oh, wait, sorry. Okay. My other shout out though, okay. that almost made this, you I have to it. say this was Skylar at the dinner table telling Alana's family that he was an atheist, another like great scene <laughs> and laugh from our theater. And I just had to put that in there, even though it didn't make my, my top slot. Yeah. I was cringing really hard. I think we I think some of us can relate to that conversation. That was rough. That was hilarious. He, he played that so well. Okay. So those are great options. I'm going with a scene from more of a, I guess the way that the camera tracks in the scene is just, it was like inspiring to me and I can never, I will never be able to shoot anything like direct anything. That's just not what I'm in. That's not, I'm just not good at anything like that, but it made me be like, should I take my iPhone and start like taping leaves moving in the wind outside? (laughs) 
So when Gary steals Alana's car, I say steal, that's probably aggressive, but when he takes her keys and gets in her car to go buy a pinball machine to prove his like masculinity and that he won't, you know, he won't be a loser and that just because she's going to be a politician, like how she says, uh, even though she's not really, even though she's trying to do something good with her time and her and her ability to kind of cut corners like Gary, that he's truly like going to be successful because he's a capitalist. And Alana, it's like tracking Alana through the hallway and he's cutting through the hallway, music's playing and he like, like shoulders her to go outside and it follows her from the back and she's like, you can hear her like saying comments, uh, saying things of like, I still like, like you, Gary, like for who you are, like something to the effect of that. Like, you don't have to go do this. Like, stop, stop, Gary, Gary, don't get in that car. Gary, do not drive away. And there was a moment where I think Gary on the drive was realizing that he could find some type of honest job. So that whole sequence was kind of beautiful because we really were, we were shown how Gary was doing these odd jobs, like taping and getting the lighting right for this politician that Alana was working for. And she's trying to do what Gary's doing, be the yes man to everything to, in order to succeed, but try to do with good intentions and healthy intentions to try to live a nice life and honest living. And instead of trying to beat the system and Gary was almost kind of intimidated by that. And he calls her old because she basically says she's going to be a politician. She's more old than him. And that just that whole sequence was beautiful. I think it was kind of my relationship to PTA uh, is kind of like everybody else. I mean, he makes bangers like one after another. We love boogie nights. There will be blood. And then going to Phantom thread is probably our shared most loved PTA movie. Uh, and now this one, I think probably is, this is my favorite PTA film, spoiler alert, uh, which I think is kind of, you know, usually you need some time to sit on it, but I think I've taken enough time talking about it. So I think this scene is a, is a great depiction of why I think PTA is special because he's giving us so many different layers in like two minutes here and also getting everything else in the scene, right. From what they're wearing to the lighting, to the way he's following them with the camera. It just is like. The the composition of the scene is beautiful. Him being the DP, the director, and the screenwriter all at once here and probably pick, picking the music was just, you know, to me, the standout. He's the best. That, that, that scene was the best class to me of the movie. Yeah. And especially when I think at the table, right, we get these close-ups of their faces. Like I can just like the their faces are so in just in my mind from that scene, right? Like they're, um, I don't want to say like burned in my brain, but you know what I mean? Like right. I can, I can picture right. it so perfectly. Alana at the table talking to him and then Gary's face, right? Like their facial reactions. And also when he ends up pulling out of the driveway in a way, right? We get the back of Alana's head and her hair and the camera shows it. So the sun is just like on Alana's hair and I was just glued in that scene. I think you, I think that's definitely a great best class, best scene because that whole, just those series of shots were amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really great. Okay. The next one. All right. Our last category last here. Last one. Okay. So this is what's going in the yearbook. What is the most memorable person or part of this movie? And the reason that we have this award which is different from like the best scene or the the valedictorian who deserves to to you know win out in this movie who did the best job is that sometimes just like a school year like you have what's in the yearbook right you have sort of like the memory or what you will take away or think about this movie later on and it might not always be the best scene right it's kind of sometimes 
like my answer, I'll go ahead and go first. The vibes. My answer is the vibes is for what's going in the yearbook for licorice pizza. Um, like how the movie shot, like you were just saying, Trey and the music, like the sense of place is just so palpable. Like I can feel the heat in LA. I can feel the midday sweat and the cement, right? Like the shots of them running, uh, are great. Oh, like, absolutely. Those yeah. are amazing. And just this kind of signal of like the sense of aimlessness, right? But yet purpose for what they're running towards and truly like you're in a pinball machine, like you're back and yeah. forth constantly throughout. Yeah. And and we have these like kids during summer, right? So we have this like sense of hope because they're young, but also facing the re- these realities of the world, right? So we kind of have this like sadness, like a cloudy summer. Um, and then also just these kind of metaphorical scenes, right? Like with Sean Penn's um, character. Uh, and and really we don't have to be told explicitly like what's going on, um, to really kind of get the, the vibe, the messages. And it, it's going to take another rewatch, I think for me too. Um, but just, I think the way it's shot, just shout out to Paul Thomas Anderson. You can really like feel the textures in the scenes, right? Like the, the diner seats, uh, the close-ups, right? Like the materials in the scenes. And even as the camera rolls at the end with the purple sky, like you know what that's like to walk at night. Like everything just feels like you could actually be in that scene. Um, so that the vibes is what's going in the yearbook for me. Vibes is a much cooler answer than my answer. I also think it's just really cool kind of going off what you said that you can basically put your teacher hat on and do what we just did for an hour in this podcast, which is really analyze the hell out of this movie and have a fun time doing it. And then also you can put on your fast and furious clothes and be like, yeah, I just want to have a good time being a, being a moment here and not think too hard where the shots are beautiful. Yeah. And that, and which fast and furious probably isn't the best example. I've just been naming a lot of movies. So that's what came to mind, but you're having a fun time and that is what the movie feels like. I can go watch this, not think too deeply about all the, all the scenes and all the meta parts of this movie and all the concepts that are being thrown at us uh, in different ways, but it was awesome. So What's going in the yearbook for me? I'm going to say Alana, both Alana Hyam and Alana Kane. Alana Hyam for her performance because, you know, while I've been saying that Cooper Hoffman's awesome and he was my second semester award recipient, Alana Hyam is, I think, the best actor in this movie. Uh, she is, she is, like how you said, she was right there with Bradley Cooper. Like when they were in the same scene together, I was, I was like, this is Bradley Cooper, but they're in the same you know, box right now. They're, they're not in different levels right now. And I thought that was really, really cool. And I think more than Alana Hyam, who will get a lot of, you know, success, I'm assuming from this, besides just her, her music career, I'm sure she'll have a really long acting career now if she wants it. But her character arc, we're fascinated by, I mean, you're obviously, you're the woman studies teacher. You're fascinated by women's arcs and movies and because there aren't many and there are only a few great ones, but this one really is going to stand out. I think in terms of a, uh, of a a nuanced depiction of a woman in a movie that is subtly the the main character. There aren't a lot of, it is kind of, I, I think of, and I, this is one of the first female protagonists we get, but it is kind of similar in terms of the way that we're subverted thinking it's Gary as the main character to, to uh, Ellen Ripley 
in Alien, how she's not the main character in the in the beginning of that movie. If you've seen Alien listeners, like she's not the main character. And then she becomes the main character like 30, 45 minutes in, especially toward the end of the movie. You're like, oh, this is the protagonist. She's the badass. She's going to save the ship and get out alive um, or at least just get out alive. Uh, so I really like Alana Kane's character. I think she is that character is going to go in the yearbook. That'll last for good, it'll be the most memorable person and part of the movie. Much like how I think Jordan Belfort, but Belfort, Belfort, sure. Much like how I think his character, the real life person, but specifically the character, was a little bit confusing the first few years after Wolf of Wall Street. But now we look at him as, uh, I think, really, uh, it was a really wise choice by Scorsese to like write a, a symbol, like right? That. Like, yeah, the, he's a symbol a text. of a failed economic system. Yeah. And, I think we have that with her. So that is my, that is my yearbook choice. Okay. We did it, Kels. Well, actually, so wait, did we talk about, um, the Sean Penn scene? We did not talk about the Sean Penn because, scene. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah. Cause okay. I was, I said it in, in my yearbook, but okay. I kind of wanted to go more into it just because I thought the more, the motorcycle scene. Yes. The okay. motorcycle. Um, I'm not sure if you already talked about this, but, um, right. This was the, the part with Sean Penn. Um, and the reason I was saying, right, the, the vibes and also these scenes that have metaphors of that give us a message without explicitly telling us, this is one of those moments, right? Like, so Alana is with Sean Penn, Mm -hmm. right. And we see that this is sort of, I think what Paul Thomas Anderson is showing us as like a casting couch situation, right? Like he didn't even need to portray Alana as getting like physically taken advantage of to kind of get to the root of why and, and how people get taken advantage of by people in power, right? Like Sean Penn's character, they just had to show her right in this, you know, scene with Sean Penn on the motorcycle, pulling off this old trick to like relive his glory days, mm-hmm. jumping over the fire. Um, and we just need to see her just fall off the motorcycle to understand that she is like totally expendable in this moment. Right. Yes. And like just Alana even understands that she needs to objectify herself to get her foot in the door there. And I, and I think that whole like sequence is a perfect example of this, not spelling it out, but focusing on Alana's experiences and a really just a a great like scene to, to show us like what Paul Thomas Anderson is getting at the kind of things he's tapping. Thank you for bringing that up because I think a lesser, it's actually a perfect example to end the award show because maybe PTH deserves all the awards because I think a lesser writer would have written a very ambiguous sexual assault and a lesser director would have shown like a grope or something that really put it on the nose. Like some, like Alano being groped by this character, Sean Penn or being there, there was a, there was an implication that he was going to try to take her home. Right. Like I felt like she was in danger in, in this scene. Right. So, that was great. Thank you for bringing that up because there's so much to chew on in this movie. We don't want to forget about anything. So that was great. All right. So final question, final question. Well, before we get to the final question, (laughs) (laughs) we're getting there. Recap, recap really quickly. So we had the valedictorian who was PTA for me, Alana Haim for Kels. Teacher's pet was Alana Haim for me and Alana Kane, her character. And then Bradley Cooper for Kels. Second semester, Cooper Hoffman for both of us. The transfer, the problematic scenes, let's just call them for both of us. The last block, the I love you, Gary quote from me. And then kind of similar to Kels, 
she didn't like the ending and she went PTA on us 2.0 and she changed it. And then the best class went to Gary leaving Alana to make a pinball store for that scene. And then Kels picked the acting agent scene. You're uh, a fighter. You're a fighter. And then the yearbook, uh, which was the final award, which I picked Alana Heim and her character, Alana Kane, living on and in a positive memory. And then Kelsey said, vibes. the vibes, the vibes. The All vibes. right. So does this film deserve extra credit? That is the question. Uh, my answer is a short. Yes. I don't think I really understood it first watch or maybe appreciated it needed a second watch. So go watch it again. If you're like, huh, I didn't like see some of these things that we were talking about. Let us know what you think. But yes, I do think that this film deserves extra credit. What do you think? This seems like a scenario in which I gave a 95 to a student and the student came back to me in a very polite way and explained that, that their assignment was actually perfect and that the rubric was a little messed up. And I go, no, that can't be true. And I look at the rubric. Oh, I did mess up the rubric because this movie should have been a hundred from the start. This movie deserves extra credit. What are we doing? It's a great movie. It's a great story. It's got concepts to chew on and topics to talk about for years, if not decades. I think it's the best film of the year and we've seen a lot of good stuff. Yes. So it does. Yeah. You know, and I'm a, a sucker for ensemble movies. Like I want my main character to meet a bunch of different people and kind of have these like pressure points that are being pushed on or like different, different reflection points is maybe a better way to put it. Like these like cracked mirrors, these connections just so good, uh, deserves a rewatch and yeah, deserves extra credit. All right. So that was the pod. Thanks for listening. We did it. Yeah, we did it. That was our first uh, (laughs) podcast, guys. I appreciate everybody for listening. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the Extra Credits Podcast. Please review us wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple iTunes. I think they only allow you to give five stars. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's only only five stars. No dislike thing on YouTube. It's weird now. You can only give five stars. Leave a comment. Start a conversation if you want. We'll respond. Much love. Peace out. See you later. I'm Kelsey. I'm Trey. Bye.